The Youthscape Podcast. Welcome to a spooky Youthscape Podcast. Martin, why are you wearing fangs? Oh, sorry, it's your teeth. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is Martin Saunders, my beloved co-host. I thought he was wearing fangs. Wow. Actually, his canines are a bit. What, we did dodgy. talk about the fact that in early podcasts we did too much physical appearance oh, stuff. We did. Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna roll roll back. From and that. you've you I'm you straight away gone for my teeth. I know I have. I, do I, I never say anything about the way you look ever. <laughs> ever on my footwear. Ever. So, Martin, Hello. we're in Halloween season. Da, da, and I am da, currently da, da, doing youth ministry da, 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 in a city where a lot of young people like to. Uh, that was thriller. Say I was doing Michael Jackson and, thriller. Well, anyway, I was getting seriously, but anyway, you did thriller. <laughs> there we go. But actually, lots of young people that I work with uh, refer to themselves as spiritualist, Wiccan, witches. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting moving really? to the Northwest. There's, I think I've been a bit blind to it in London for a bit, but there's quite a big. Sort of absurd as that where I work, where I am. Yeah, so a lot wow. of young people. That, now, would they practice mm. that in well, any I'm discernible way? I'm trying to work out. I, for a number of them, it is an ideology that makes sense at the moment. So, kind of tied in with a kind of a gothic mm. love of music and just that kind of emo, that kind of that evolution. But a number of them say, "Oh, yeah, I'm th- third or fourth generation witch or Freemason." Yeah, that kind of really interesting. Wow. Yeah, my my parents, my grandparents. I've got the gift. Yeah. Wow. So I I remember. Uh, I very famously wrote I say famously let's, let's be honest about the scale of this a couple of people read it uh, I wrote an article about Harry Potter when I was when oh I was gosh, about 22 or 23 I did a I did a scaremongering article about Harry Potter and uh, you can still find it online because I think someone's put it on a on a website somewhere um, and the, the title was Is Harry Potter a moving staircase too far? Ooh. And I, I am, you know, I'm, I'm terribly ashamed of it because yeah. it was the worst kind of like knee-jerk, um, reaction. knee-jerk yeah, yeah. unthought through uh, first half of life. Exactly what I would have yeah. written at, at that age. Um, I was very earnest yeah. and I was very concerned about the damage that Harry Potter was going to do on our young people. But I remember now that the background to that, the reason why we were, we were worried about it in the offices of Christianity magazine uh, for whom I wrote it. Um, was that um, uh, there was a whole series of uh, books and TV yeah, shows and things yeah. around uh, uh, around Wicca mm. and witches at the time, mm. and it was it like in the so that would have been the, the vampires, yeah, yeah the late nineties yeah. early noughties like it wasn't so much Harry Potter that was the problem it was oh. there was a whole kind yeah. of industry around that that was the like a mainstream bigger. industry though just like it? probably just off mainstream mm, okay. as it were mm. um but but certainly there was quite a lot of that stuff and and i remember teenagers at that time were kind of playing around with those ideas and then i haven't heard of that yes. so much since so yeah. it's interesting that you have found well it is it is because i've been chatting to some youth workers in pendle which is not a million miles from where we live and of course you've got the story of the pendle witches on that hill mm. um, but it's also where quakerism began so it's so there's a really it's really interesting thinking about the hit the spiritual history of a place yeah. and what the kind of the, the biggest stories so you so young people are massively influenced like we all are aren't we by the massive stories of the films and the franchise and that, but also the local stories of an area. And in Preston and the Northwest, it's really interesting, just like in Brighton when I was working down there as a youth worker, and those were the covens across the coast there, mm. just how that plays into young mm. people's imagination of what spirituality means. Mm. So I think in a, in a, a different podcast, we've joked about pipe, the word pipeline, but it, it feels like there's a spirituality pipeline. Like, what what is 
what does spirituality look like for a young person because of the, their postcode? Mm. Um, yeah, so it is. So I am still trying to get to the bottom a little bit. And interestingly, the, it goes hand in hand with atheism. Mm. So I'm a spiritualist. I'm also an atheist. Yeah. Or a young person said to me the other day, um, I don't think I want to be an atheist anymore. It doesn't work for me. And mm. I said, oh, why doesn't it work for you? And she said, well, it's not very powerful. So mm. there's a hunger for power. And if atheism doesn't have power then what does have real power? Mm. And so evil, darkness, fear, that there's a power there, isn't it? That you, yeah. that you lean into because it is so, it scares you. Well, I remember a young woman in our church saying that she, um, she had met a white witch. Mm. Um, and I don't really know what a white no, witch no. is, but uh, I think it's, it's somebody who is um, trying to access the, the same power, but for yes. good. Yeah. And she said, um, that this woman had said to her that that um, Christians had no idea yes. how much yes. power yes. they were carrying. Totally agree. That yeah. Christians had no idea, and she said, I I, "You know, when I that. see yeah. you, I see this incredible power, yeah. which is so much stronger than what we have." You just don't realize. But it. you don't realize it, Gosh. and you, all these Christians are walking around, and we know, and we see yeah. it. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that, yeah, I mean that scripture backs that up, doesn't it, with some of the encounters with witches and yeah, yeah, and it is, and I think. It, I, I have to say I'm quite excited by it and although there's a lot about it that absolutely I'm really conscious as a youth worker I, you know there's there's danger and there's naivety of young people getting into stuff that they don't realise what they're opening the door to I, I really get that but what I've found is that there's it's an, it, there's an interest in things that are, that are mm. outside of this world which interestingly in North London it, there was much more conversation about religion more young people I was working with had some religious background mm. where I'm working now there isn't the religious background but there's this real interest in spirituality and if, I, and if the conversations we have I can share about Jesus mm. not religion not interested mm. in Christianity at all but if I can introduce Jesus and some of those stories of his power power encounters suddenly that's really tantalising mm. for this young so I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm quite loving it actually so we're, we're carving crosses in pumpkins and sticking them all around the church because our, where our church is, it's a bit, it's a bit of graveyard stuff. Like it's a real kind of congregating late night point for all these beautiful young people that are exploring spirituality. Do so. you want a bit of trivia? Tell me some trivia. Did you know that there is a moment in the sitcom Friends? Oh yes. Two of the characters play with a Ouija board, and no one mentions it. It's never know. mentioned. Mm. What, what is that? Uh, well, I think it was, uh, number one, it was that context, the late 90s, early noughties, so where there was a real interest in that. To it. But also it was a backlash against the kind of Christian right who'd uh, got very upset about the, the sexual permissiveness okay. in Friends. Okay, so so they, like, they sneaked that in the background as two fingers. Interesting. interesting. I'm, I, I remember as a teenager, I, um, I had a bit of a run-in with um, Ouija boards as a teenager. I've never wow. shared this on No, me. I don't think you had. So I was running a Christian union. I was sort of a 14, 15-year-old, and me and my friends in my class were like, we want a Christian union at our school. Um, and, the same, and it happened because at lunchtime for a few days in a row, my friend brought a Ouija board in, mm. and, and, and I was not really getting involved with it because as a Christian, I was like, I know that I shouldn't do this, but I'm also deeply fascinated. Mm. And um, and then one one of the lunch times, um, we were sat around holding hands, and uh, one of my friends asked to sp- it to spell out when am I going to die, and yeah. it spelt out a date, and it absolutely freaked her out. Well, I'm not going to go into details of this, um, but it completely freaked her out. Wow. And I and and me and my best friend at the time, we were like, what? We believe Jesus is more powerful, and so we began to pray in the lunch time in this classroom wow. and a week later our lovely friends who were doing we just said I don't know what you've done but it's not working anymore wow. and that and that was for us like <gasps> there is a god wow. it's real 
really so I remember having because we were and I remember as a teenager like being deeply fascinated in spirituality stuff and yeah. but at that moment of going oh god you are bigger oh yeah Isn't you're real amazing? you're real like, yeah, so it's it, one of those you're real moments it that was we talk one about your real moments oh my yeah. goodness do you did you do Halloween as a family the gardeners we are absolutely insistent that we don't spend time talking about what we're not for so we won't use it as a chance to talk to our children or anybody about look we don't believe in this yeah. we absolutely gun for Jesus is more powerful the light is more powerful so we do we celebrate with fireworks if, if people come to our house trick or treating of course we give them sweets we give them like light um, like the wristbands thing that, yeah absolutely do you give them a tract as well no not a tract we're what? all no we do all point to the light we're not absolutely don't use Halloween as a tract to tell everybody that the fun they're having is because actually somehow they're attracted to evil I hate that I, I'm yeah. not going to do that just, just celebrate the light don't give the darkness any attention don't give them any attention that's very good yeah so what do you I do feel, well I feel <laughs> preached at I feel preached at now because I, I, give, out, I off. give out I give out tracks and I run an anti-Halloween party no I don't um, I, no I, I don't really do anything I avoid it we right. so this is the honest Drive truth dinner. we um, we turn the lights off <laughs> Yeah, we go in the back. back of the house you watch a movie and we don't answer the door you watch the shack and I we watch the shack <laughs> and hold hands and do a bible study <laughs> no because um, I, I, the thing is I I hate Halloween mm. I got beaten up a bit on Halloween oh. once um, by by just a gang of kind of oh, like rowdy a gang of ghouls no it wasn't a gang of ghouls it was just a rank, gang of oh. rowdy blokes oh. And uh, and I think you see I think Halloween gives people permission to be horrible to just be horrible yeah I think and be unpleasant right, yeah. so I just shut it or out or to be like and I think that the thing that I hate it's more my feminist thing now yeah it's like it's the permission for women to feel that they absolutely have to dress in in certain ways like if you look at the costumes that girls will wear so the girls in my youth group are wearing yeah. Halloween I'm like girls like yeah yeah actually that there's, you're, that's playing into something there absolutely. that is just so I I get much more cross about that I'm not so worried about because I kind of think. Oh, do we actually think young people on that night are actually opening the door to the, to the enemy, to the, to the devil? I don't, yeah, they're having a bit of fun, and they, you know. But I think we as church need to be stronger. What we have has got to be bolder and stronger and more beautiful. And if the only time you talk about darkness is on Halloween, for goodness sake, you know. Sorry, I'm getting my high yeah. I get on my high horse, yeah. don't I? I mean, ironically, so that's sorry. what we've done on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> in two years of podcast, we're not giving the now, enemy the, any airtime. The thing is, right, Andy Flanagan is going to think when he listens back to this. He's like, what? He's going to get all his friends to listen. What to this. a bizarre <laughs> intro to a podcast about politics. Oh, I'm so sorry, Andy. We we started well and then we ended up down. A shall song. we? Shall we segue now? Segway. To our interview segment. Yes, let's do that. And anybody that's tuned in. Who specifically wants to listen to Andy Flan? It's like, what? What have I just listened to? So Who sorry. are these Muppets? Yeah. Right, we're going. It's the Youthscape podcast. I can confirm that Martin Saunders is fully clothed. Fantastic! And the person that can confirm that is our very own Andy Flanagan in the house. Andy, welcome! Thank you very much. You've walked in with your own coffee. You just don't think we're going to look after you. Today, well, it's, it's not you? coffee; it's tea. I believe it's coffee tea. to be of the devil. So ah, oh, we've been talking about the devil. Well wow, done. that's yeah. a segue. Wow, that's God the link. Mm. What I'm worried about <laughs> is that in the very next room, in the very next room, there is a gathering of about 25 Youthscape staff members. Uh, having a chapel service yes. from which we've been absented so that yes. we can do this interview. Yes. And uh, and the walls are quite thick, oh. but not entirely mm. soundproof. And so what's brilliant about that is that I reckon there was some little Bible reading there or some moment to oh. just see what the Lord is saying 
and I imagine there was total silence in the room and then they just heard Andy Flanagan yes. and then through the, devil, the wall and I think just contend for us friends contend for us now as we have this interview this, this is um, this is like getting the getting the band back together isn't it lovely yes so I like I think I let's think, indulge let's did indulge we first we will have first worked together on like youth work the youth conference, work the conference. Yep. in about 2000 and actually producer Rachel's lovely Something. husband in his orange trousers as the bass player on the bass oh yes so everyone remember Dan oh yes absolutely yes. Yes. Is, well, he still lives like... two streets from me so you know I, it's hard not to remember Dan Love early 2000s yeah, and early 2000s. was still crazy after all these years <laughs> thank goodness we but have so many stories don't still we? still passionately caring about the things yes. we still care about and for you Andy that has increasingly been uh, politics yeah and so you I mean to, to do your bio for you you know you started as a doctor didn't you yes started as a doctor worked for YFC yes which brought you to Luton yes did, did some uh, you're going to get to say some stuff in a minute that's uh, right. did some music which you continue to do but you, you focused on the music for a while yes that's right and then politics so what happened yes. next what have the last what's the last decade been about for you I well, got married and had kids yeah oh yeah that's a, that's, yeah, absolutely. Well, now, to be honest, you, that's been the biggest part. Now you, yes. can, now you can speak. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I, c- I could sit and listen to you two all day, to be honest. That'd be all right. Oh, don't give any encouragement. Yeah, that'd be all right. Um, yeah, the last decade has been sort of half and half, half my time doing the, continuing to do the music stuff and the singer-songwriter stuff and the worship stuff. And then and then also this thing of Christians in politics emerging, um, realising that you know, as I guess I, as I was doing a lot of stuff for Tear Fund, a lot of the songs that I write, as you know, are kind of shouting and moaning about the state of the world economic system and crying out for justice. And, um, you know, based on some of my travels and seeing mm. what state some parts of the world are in and realizing that we are complicit in why the world is in the state it's in. And, um, and so at different aid agencies like Tear Fund and Christian Aid, those sort of folks started using my songs more and then started sort of taking me to Bangladesh mm. to go and look at sweatshops and investigate what's going on there or go and see an orphanage in Uganda and understand some of the systems and structures that were at play there and causing people to be in extreme poverty. Mm. Um, and increasingly those agencies, um, I guess during the late 90s and early 2000s, were starting to focus less of their attention on uh, fundraising but more of their attention on advocacy, mm. actually trying mm. to communicate to people like members of parliament. And so um, increasingly I was finding myself interacting, singing to or speaking to members of parliament as, as these agencies used me to help with their rabble rising, you know, go and write a song about what we'd seen in the sweatshops and then come back, sing it, try and raise awareness. And I guess in that time, interacting with those MPs, the major thing that came to me was that, gosh, there is no magic dust in Westminster. There, there's, no, there's no special sauce here. There is nobody that's operating on a higher moral, intellectual or spiritual plane than anybody else. And, and having come from, you know, being involved in things like Youth Work the Conference and being involved in some amazing NGOs working with young people, seeing some incredible leadership, seeing some incredible strategic minds and brilliant minds applying themselves to, you know, seeing young people made whole again in the UK. Um, I was thinking, gosh, I, we need some of that inspirational leadership and some of that creativity and some of that great strategic thinking in in Westminster. And so, I do, you know, I, I mean, that's know. terrifying. It's a long story. It's a that's long terrifying, story. isn't it? Because yeah. we, we always assume, like you yes. will have done, that the elite lead the country. Well, you do honestly intentionally think that because when you grow up just watching TV and you presume that could never be us, that could never be we, you know, that's mm. them. Mm. And, and, uh, and then... I guess doors opened to get involved to do some writing serving into the worship stuff and the prayer stuff in parliament and then 
this narrative started to emerge of realizing that actually normal people could be stepping forward and actually seeing the incredible power of that. Mm. Seeing the, you know, I often talk about the the three things that we have going for us as believers if we're stepping into public leadership into the public square. You know, number one, because of all the incredible work that the church is now doing in community, whether it's you know the food bank stuff, mm. working with at risk teenagers, mm. or t- counselling people in debt, and mm. um, often people involved in the church are actually best placed mm. to know what the big challenges are in any given community. So they are actually really well placed to be a local counsellor, to be a local representative. Mm. Um, number two, um, you know we undervalue what we learn being part of church and community and then around the church we hugely undervalue it you know the, the inevitable uh, conflict resolution skills that we learn hopefully mm. yeah. <laughs> and, you know the public speaking skills that we learn you know how to run a meeting how to interact with people how to encourage people you know that stuff's in short supply in in the world mm. of in the world of politics you know mm. you i often say to people you go as a believer to a local um, political branch meeting and if you turn up on time if you do what you say you'll do before yes. the next meeting, if you bring biscuits, if you bring even a shred of creativity or optimism, you're straight away in the top 5% <laughs> of local political operatives. Wow. But you know, genuinely, you see that time and time again, I get the emails back from people who are saying like, Flan, you said this, but it's actually true. I just you know, brought biscuits. Well, yeah, you know, and I've been made the vice chair. You know, I've been made the treasurer. This, this, amazing, this amazing lady called Andrea Robinson, she read the, the book that, that I wrote a few years ago, Those Who Show Up, those we did for the 2015 yeah, election. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, she read that, she lives in Doncaster. She's like, I think in her late 60s she read that in Doncaster and she thought you know what I should really go and join my local Labour Party branch and she went and joined and literally two weeks later they made her the vice chair Wow! and three months later uh, she was asked to stand as a local council candidate she'd never been she'd never done anything political in her Amazing. life but just felt the nudge and uh, and now she's been for the last eighteen months. She's been serving as a local councillor oh, in her amazing. part of Doncaster, doing the most incredible work. We we did a one of our influence tour events in Doncaster, mm. and she shared her testimony and she shared what she'd been doing and how she's brought different parts of the community together, brought the church together with other parts of the community, and you know brought a lot of the work that the church is doing, but now integrating it really well with what the council's doing. Mm. So it's just it's just beautiful story of this woman being an incredible mm. witness, and mm. you know she'd never have imagined that she would yeah. want to do that. Yeah, I I I want to. Uh interject at this point because I I want to talk to you about Brexit and I feel that I might represent quite a few listeners by sort of saying Andy Brexit like how do we talk to young people about it like how do we help them to do what this lovely woman is doing like rock up and shop and be engaged in a political system when we as youth workers often are completely confused and they're still believing the myth that somehow somebody somewhere with power knows yeah. what they're doing and we just need to mm. say to our young people, scripture says honour your leaders. So just, just, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. Go well, we'll it. get on to that. It's just worth also saying, before you answer that, we are recording this uh, oh, yes. in in uh, late September. Yes. Uh, D- Thomas Cook went bust this morning, <laughs> um, which is probably not an insignificant yeah. detail. Yeah, friend um, of mine's stuck in Lanzarote. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. And uh, so we're about a month out from um, the, the deadline that has apparently been set for uh, Britain yep. to leave the EU. So it's just worth saying that. Yeah. But yeah, this Rachel's question, how do we... How do we engage so sorry to get sort of suddenly very granular, but I just think that as we've got mm. you here with us, yeah. and this is one area of youth ministry that I have to say I feel completely, I don't know how to have these conversations with young people, like how do we help them process the grief of what's happening currently in our country? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do we get them engaged in something that they're just like, I don't want to touch that with a barge pole. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's actually, I think it's quite an encouraging story because I think actually young people are going to lead us in this. I think young mm. people are going to lead the older generations in this. Mm. You know, like the week after... Um, the EU referendum in 2016 I mean because of my job I got lots of requests for 
uh, to write articles for newspapers and websites and do media you know mm. interviews and stuff and the thing that I was really praying thinking like what on earth do, what on earth do I say and the thing that came really strongly to me that week was that everybody was talking about well you know now we've had the vote now it's just time to move on you know we've got it we've got to come together we've got to come mm. to, now is the time to come together and, and that's a very sincere noble sentiment mm. but the, the phrase that really strongly came to me as I was praying that week was well how do we come together if we never meet mm. And, and we are in real danger in the UK of sliding towards an American scenario whereby you've got two separate cultures operating within one country, mm-hmm. you know, who read different newspapers, who watch different TV channels, who will look at the same news story and get a totally different take on exactly the same news story. Um, and I, you know, I know the, the danger of that coming from Northern Ireland. It's a dangerous thing when two cultures start living separately and the fear and the ignorance and the prejudice just increases and increases. And then you've got social media, as we all know, and I'm sure you have discussed many times, then you know, multiplying that division because we just hear back via the algorithms what we want to hear and yes. an increasingly extreme version of what we want to hear. Yes. Um, so it feels like for me the, real, the prophetic call in the midst of that context is to be intentionally building relationships with those on the other side of inverted commas the Brexit divide and you know those people are often within our churches for people maybe within their youth groups but probably not because young people are predominantly remainers and young people are predominantly internationalist and they're thinking you look at the climate protest yes, just yeah. of two days ago yeah. you know it's just incredible and wonderful yeah. these people just stepping up across the world so you know so you don't need to i don't need to sit here and convince young people to be political no. or convince youth workers to convince young people to be political they are it's in their dna it's actually young people who are going to lead us out of our silos and out of our like really shallow really shallow thinking on this mm-hmm. but i think i think I think young, young people are so well tooled up to do that sort of coping with uh, uh, coping with pluralism a lot better than mm. we do coping with yeah. the plurality of opinions on things and coping with a bit of diversity I mean you know history shows on many issues that actually young people are well ahead <laughs> of previous mm. generations on that and mm. and so I think I actually see real hope that folks folk can come together on mm. this and, and but you still have the problem that does not solve the, the geographical problem of people um, actually experiencing each other's cultures when they live separately because it's a geographical problem. It's mm. the ghettoization of mm. the difference between the suburbs and the inner city and yes. the difference between living in Brighton or Cambridge or yes. Bristol and yes. centre of London or living in Stoke or Grimsby yes. or Hull. Mm. You know, mm. or, or to be honest, you know, being you know, my church here and um, St Matthews, you know, talking to the folks there on Sunday morning, folks who are, you know, most you know, you've got a few folks who will be uh, you know, guardian readers, but you're plenty of folks who are daily mail readers, mm. and that's just because they've read all their lives. So mm. you know, they're fed a very mm. certain diet <laughs> every day. So you've got that you know, that division isn't going away anytime soon either. So I don't know. I think I think for me, a real imperative on folks who are working with young people or helping to lead you young people is to help to think, help them to think how they can be peacemakers in this mm. country. This is like this is a time for the peacemakers. This is a time yes. for the this is a time for the bridge builders. And for me, that's more important than you know, I, I certainly have very strong opinions on the actual, the economics and the international politics of Brexit and the mm. EU. I have very strong mm. opinions on that, but actually what I care about passionately more mm. is that our country doesn't, that a cultural divide, which was already there, I'm not saying that Brexit caused it, it was already there, but Brexit has enlarged that divide and there's a real danger that divide becomes a chasm mm. that is actually very hard to ever straddle again. And one of the terrifying things about that, I think from our perspective as youth workers, is that if you look on the two sides, you've already alluded to this, on the two sides of that divide, um, the young people are, you know, there's a, a big weighting of young people towards remain yeah. and a big weighting of older generations towards leave. And there's a pretty helpful 
um, graph that that, mm. w- that was Absolutely. widely sort of shared that showed about seventy five percent of eighteen to twenty fours voted uh, to remain, and that was sort of mirrored in the in the older generations the other way. Um, and so we've got a real problem that young people um, we're going to leave. We are going to leave the EU. It seems pretty certain that that's going to happen. Um, young people. Maybe. Then, well, okay. It seems likely at this stage that we're going to leave the EU, if not in, in three days' time when this is uh, aired. I doubt that will happen. <laughs> this might um, cause it, Martin. This, what you, this could be what it. you just said might actually cause it. But you've then got this kind of potential, this, this chasm opening up between the ages. Mm. And so the old demonising the young yeah. and the young demonising the old. And on a related uh, note, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a horrific image that was being circled uh, circulated by a, um, a sort of fairly right-wing commentator who said that in the uh, in the, the rise of the Third Reich in the 19, sorry of the um, uh, of the Nazi Party in the nineteen thirties. Can I just point out we're only ten minutes into the discussion? We've got to Hitler already, so that's that's, uh, that's I, yeah. But you'll be say. surprised at where okay. this goes. So this is a right-wing commentator saying that in the nineteen thirties, when the Nazi Party was growing in popularity. In order to get sympathy for their cause, they would circulate images of uh, of of girls, young girls in their early teens with blonde hair and yeah. pigtails, because that was most likely, and rosy cheeks, and that would most likely gain sympathy. Next to that, a picture of Greta Thunberg, suggesting that today's extremists are trying to use young people as the sort of um, uh, you know that this is the Trojan horse. To a terrible new ideology, uh, and so there's a demonize, a horrific demonization mm. of young people already happening. Uh, and for all of us on the maybe I, I put myself on the left, mm. saying I'm you know very excited mm. about the Greta Thunberg generation. Yeah. There's another group of people who are very unhappy about that and are going to yeah. seek to to, yeah. to say that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think so. The question is who's going to broker the listening relationships mm, between those generations? Good, Andy. And I think that's surely that's a huge job for youth workers that we need yeah. to broker because both both of those sides need to listen to one another. Yeah. Mm. They need to have a context that is not mediated by social media and is certainly not mediated by you know mm. the mainstream media and the press and the way that they would report um, yeah. Greta, <laughs> for example. Um, and so those have to be real relationships in real localities, in real churches, in real congregations, in real community groups, in real youth work settings that people have an opportunity to listen to one another, so mm. they can actually here mm. and not and that you know only by that connection of real you know real world connection can they do that because what you're describing um, it strikes me for me uh, idolatry is probably a really useful framing for what we're seeing mm-hmm. in that in that uh, you know probably you could say on both sides that you know the Brexit yeah. and, and on the other side you know uh, this kind of non-negotiable remaining probably have become I- idols yeah. you know mm-hmm. and when things become idols things get sacrificed mm-hmm. to them um, inevitably that's the, the nature of an idol and you're not saying that that thing and as with all idols doesn't necessarily start as a bad thing it's often mm-hmm. a good thing it's often a legitimate a valid thought or a valid idea mm-hmm. which you could say that about remaining or you could say about leaving the EU valid mm-hmm. ideas mm-hmm. but um, they become idols and things mm-hmm. get sacrificed and I, we, I think we're starting to see yeah. you know truth in the public square we're starting to see democracy we're starting to see the rule of law even perhaps being sacrificed to to those idols mm. um so you know that that listening that that coming together has mm-hmm. to be somebody has to be brokering that listening between the generations because because there will be stuff for each to hear I, you know i think it's really important that we don't just side with one or the other mm-hmm. you know we're meant to be hearing the wisdom of elders the, the, mm-hmm. the folks who have 
um, had children and grandchildren need to be listened to. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, because there will be a perspective that um, that that younger folks will not have. That you know that listening has to happen. And you know, I, I love what Tom Wright says about um, about progressivism and conservatism. And he says that you know it strikes me. Tom Wright says he says it strikes me that if you look at the world, there are moments that require a progressive response, i.e., things need to change. Mm. Mm. But there are also moments that require a conservative response, i.e. things need to stay the same. There is a reason we do things the way mm. we do it. And he said that every parent knows that as well. Yeah. You know, there are moments in parenting that require a progressive response, mm. things need to change. Okay, your bedtime can be later now. Yeah. Mm. Or there are moments there are moments when you need a conservative response. We which eat is like Yeah, we yeah, eat him and we always do. And you still don't pour water on the laptop. You know, <laughs> there, there are, there are conserv- yeah. you need conservative moments as well. Yeah. And it's so and but the danger that we fall into is that because especially because of social media, we Rather than responding and you know reflecting on scripture, taking a breath, thinking about how we respond to any given issue or challenge, um, you know there is there is good to be drawn from both I guess mm. aspects of progressive ideology and conservative ideology, mm. and rather than and being able to sort of stop, take a breath, and think right, okay, on this one I'm over here, on this yeah. one I'm over here, we we just we in, instead respond to everything with the the knee jerk tribal reaction yeah. of yes, our tribe, yeah, absolutely, and and so that's that's why that listening has to happen. Can we can we bring the church into this as well? Because you were talking earlier about the divide between old and young, but in a church setting, it's not just old and young in the culture but the people that are leading senior leaders in churches there's that sense of many of them have either been very silent on this or are you know hold the view of the wider older population and so young people looking to church leadership are also Mm. seeing well actually the church leaders feel very differently to me on this and I wonder how that plays out in discipleship as well that not only in family so in my family the older people in my family voted to leave and that broke my heart like I thought we felt the same on this stuff That, that caused a bit of a chasm actually in our family and I know churches where that's been the same impact that hearts have been broken within churches because of how things like, what's the impact we're seeing on young people's discipleship on that are they seeing the the elders in their faith as untrustworthy holding very tightly to ideas that are quite damaging and toxic and what will be the impact in the future so just to bring it closer to home yeah, yeah, yeah. any of that well and i'm actually going to bring it further from home just as an example to show where the thick end of that wedge ends up and that's where you've got I think, to be honest, a lot of what's happening amongst teenagers and 20-somethings in the church in the USA at the minute, yeah. who, what you've just described is how people are ascribing those who have kind of, um, you know, uh, given blind allegiance to Donald Trump. Yes. Um, and therefore, that's, you know, I'm speaking to lots and lots of youth workers and church leaders in the States who are feeling that, they, yeah, their discipleship of young people has taken a real hit yes. because of that lack of trust. Because, yes. well, if, gosh, if you're going with that, then I don't want anything yeah, to do with yeah, it. I don't want anything yeah, to do with yeah. you. So, so, I'm, so I don't think we're at that point yet, but what you're describing is, is a journey. Is a journey. So I, I, is, is, is a journey towards that point. And I think, I think that's why, I, th- I think this is why the problem is we people were given a binary choice. I just wasn't a fan of the idea of being yes. given a reference. It's a really complex issue. It's a really complex issue, our connection with the European Union and our connection with the rest of the world via the European Union, which is something we don't even talk about very much. Mm. And it was shrunk down to this simplistic yes or no thing. And so at the end of the day, we voted on what was basically an idea. Mm. Yeah. We voted on an idea. And now it's been the struggle of parliamentarians to try and turn that into a policy, an actual, mm. a large set mm. of policies. Mm. And that's proving very, very difficult. And you know, I would say for obvious reasons, it's proving very, very difficult. But um, 
you know, it, it has been shrunk down and therefore people have sort of jumped one way or the other. And then what you, you have what psychologists call selection bias now taking place, yes. that everybody's now justifying their decision back in 2016 with finding yes. only stuff that actually, you know, yeah, pertains to that. Yeah. And, and so you, you, everybody's shoved further and further into the yeah. camp, which inevitably happens if you present them with a yes, no yeah. answer. But I would say what we're reaping even more than that is the fact that we have been silent mm. and the church ladies have been silent on politics in general. And that in our desire to be neutral and not sort of offend anybody in the congregation, um, the church leaders and other people who share have have actually inevitably sort of have un, sometimes unintentionally stepped back from talking about politics at all mm. and have left this vacuum. Mm. And actually, as, as, as church leaders leave that vacuum, that means that Christians in general leave that vacuum or they just do it from their armchairs yes. at home and social media, which is much less healthy. That's not actually being politically involved. Yeah. People think they're politically engaged and involved, but they're not. They're just mm. doing it from their they armchairs. Yeah, and, and so... And you need leadership to give people the confidence to believe that you know politics is a mission field. That's what Christians in politics is about. It's about taking the case to the church to say politics is a mission field to be involved in as much as any other area, whether it's economics or education or wherever, yeah. that actually that's where we need to be. And sometimes you need somebody modeling. You need somebody showing that that's possible. You need to be interviewing the people that are local councillors in our churches. We need to be sharing. Leaders need to be sharing um, about what they're thinking about big issues. And you know, it, to be it shows the challenge of like having just like one part of the time somebody doesn't want to say all right I, but i don't want to abuse my position in the pulpit yeah, and leave it yeah. but that, for me that sort of shows well why, why is there only one person in the pulpit yeah you know it, 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 you know actually you can, it, there are ways of sharing mm-hmm. about politics where you can get three or four people yeah. from the congregation that might have a different opinion and, I, and I, you can lead yeah. on, lead on disagreeing well rather yeah. than stepping back and Absolutely. doing this false neutrality because i do think there's i mean the, the word trauma maybe is too strong but maybe it's not too strong that we're a country in trauma because we're still working out the fallout of disagreeing and just the pain that it's caused and i think as a church particularly the youth ministry community that i spend time listening to nationally we've got some big things on the horizon like how are we going to have good healthy conversations about sexual ethics about gender about some of these big issues that we know are going to bring us into conflict or disagreement or how are we going to do this well and and yet we're doing this against a backdrop of a nation in trauma Mm. because we've we've suddenly realized these divides are so deep and so painful that you know, I had a letter from an elderly relative in my family because I did a, an article for Christianity magazine. They asked me one thing about Brexit and I shared my view and I had a really strong letter from mm. this member of the family, yeah. really, like, yeah. really going for me. And yeah. I thought, gosh, we haven't even begun to have other yeah. conversations that yeah. as a church we need to have with grace. Mm. We can't, so I think that's that's one of my concerns is that now as youth workers, we're, we're having to have these really important, beautiful, deep wrestling conversations against the backdrop of a nation and senior leaders who are not even talking about that, let alone. So I think it's an, it's an interesting time for us as youth workers, isn't it? Processing all of this and, and where it's all gonna land and how we're gonna deal with. And so I love your challenge, Andy, today. I'm gonna take away is to be peacemakers, to be reconcilers, to just keep the conversations opening for that we don't go into our polarized camps. Yeah. We don't go into the binary. We say, actually, yeah. there's something there's something that God's going to say specifically and uniquely to us in this time that we've got to be listening out for and be people of peace. That's, oh, I love it. And that, Thank you. And that, I mean, and that has to be I real relationships. There, I mean, I, relationships. I love the online world. It, it does yeah. such power for good, but that has to be through real relationships. We yeah. cannot allow that to be mediated online. That has other. to be local people, real relationships. Um, because yeah you cannot allow that to be mediated you can't say that strongly enough and so we will have to broker those situations because more naturally especially a younger generation will will head in that direction head on a screen based direction and so there is have to be encouragement to to be 
doing the hard yards of, of sitting in a room with 10 people mm. you know it's like you know whether it's the comeback of debating societies or, or, what, or whatever it is, but actually mm. you know really wor- working out how we create those safe spaces for people to have good disagreement and you what are, we are constantly finding because we are bringing people together with christians in politics we're constantly bringing people together from across all the parties and no party to, to have discussions and to build uh, friendships and build bridges but what we're realizing is that you cannot disagreeing well is a phrase that's used a lot um, but you cannot disagree well just by being more polite on social media. You know, it's <laughs> not just about you know. And yes, we do need to police that, and yes, we do need to be careful about what we say there and think and take a breath, as I said earlier. But actually, there is no. The only way you can meaningfully disagree well is is by being in strong relationship with someone. Mm, you know. Brilliant. So the best disagreements I have with people brilliant. in Parliament are with the guys who I play five side football with. Hmm. You know, because they know me. They know me as a human being. Mm. Um, and. And you know, so there's just there's no there's no kind of clever silver bullet. It is the hard yards of relationship building. That's that's and if we actually are wanting to persuade, if as young people we are wanting to, you know, if if we are as young people, for example, we're wanting to persuade people of the immediacy of the climate crisis. That is not going to happen by shouting at people from a distance. No, that exactly. is going to happen by by gradually persuading people and putting an arm around people's shoulder and convincing them of that. Yeah, um, and so it's real relationships can't get beyond that. The hard yard of real relationships. Wow. That's Twitter by in it, sound bite. Andy, that's fantastic. Awesome. And I think for all of us listening as well, awesome. <laughs> there's a lot of practical things we can take out of what you just said yeah. there. And you know, we work with young people, you know, we can immediately start to have some of these conversations with Listen also to them, many yeah. of us have buildings in our communities mm. where we can draw people yeah. together so we actually can we're not powerless in this like we could actually start to do some of the stuff that you're talking about right away and there's a bit of resource from Christians in Politics we have a couple of great guys and a, and a wide team here specifically doing Christians in Politics for young people and students um, so there's a there's a Facebook page called YCIP YCIP Young Christians in Politics so check out the Facebook group Young Christians in Politics and it's Christians not partisan it's not partisan no it's cross party it? and non-party yeah. so it's uh, Facebook and the, and the page is called Young Christians in Politics Young Christians in Politics awesome. so check it out yeah. Andy thank you so much thank you thank you thank you for giving pleasure. up your time this morning we're going to wrap pleasure, it up pleasure. there I think because that think was a, a nice I, I actually feel quite exhausted and inspired and like I need to have a lie down I think I, I'm, I'm going to go and tweet angrily about this conversation <laughs> yes and I will retweet it from an armchair that's very good uh, so uh, hello to Rachel Gardner hello to Rachel Gardner uh, do get in touch Uh, And you can get behind us on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash youthscape. Uh, We'll see you next time. This podcast is 80% Rachel Gardner. No. That's fine.